Welcome everybody to another episode of the Unreasonable Art of Living podcast. I'm your host, Gerhard, and as always, enjoy the music. Welcome back. I hope you're doing fine wherever you are right now. Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Unreasonable Art of Living podcast. <laughs> Very exciting week. Very exciting week. So, two things. If you're a first-time listener, this might not make much sense. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, this will make a bit more sense. <laughs> But if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I've mentioned that um, we're working on an app called Lumi. It's a yeah, self-awareness, holistic well-being app that helps you to understand how you're doing in your life and provides tools and methods to yeah explore and experiment various areas in your life and help you to improve them. And so, yeah, we have been launching the early access. We launched the early access on... What was it today? Sunday when I'm recording. We launched it on Thursday. And it was super exciting. Um, and this episode, I want to talk about like the first, yeah, how it was the first 72 hours. And also, as a little recap, last week I launched the first episode of the Flow series. There will be the next chapter, so to say, probably next week. This week, I wanted to talk about, yeah, the launch of the early access. So very exciting. We invited like a small group of people to test the first version of Lumi in a very closed control group. Let me take a sip of my delicious Earl Grey tea. And yeah, wow, I don't know how to describe it. You know, it's such a diff it's such an interesting feeling. So you've been working on something intensively you know with other people to really create something that you think brings value to this world and you know it's a, it's it's in a form a very vulnerable moment when you kind of like put this thing out in the world and you see how people respond it could be you know very very negative or very positive it could be a mixed bag you never know and in the end this shouldn't matter as much because what really should matter, what really does matter is when you create something, the first thing that, the most important thing is that you love it personally, that you find joy in using it, that you find joy working on it. That's the most, in my opinion, the most important principle, guiding factor or yeah, KPI, I mean, um, kind of like an indicator, key performance indicator. That's what I call them in the business world. Do you love whatever you created? Do you love it yourself? And I think, why is this so important? Because I think when you create something and you really love it, you love it for the sake of doing it, you, you would just do it and you would be happy if no one else would use it or look at it or yeah see it 
or experience it. Because if you love it and you create something with all your that you love and you're convinced about it through all your fibers of you know of your body, your soul, your mind, your heart. I believe, and um, I hope I'm not wrong, but so far, from based on the responses so far, people will feel the difference. If you give them something that, yeah, kind of like carries the DNA of love and joy with it, I think and I believe that people will feel a difference if they get something and they will feel, wow, the person who, or the people, or the team that created this, there was love and care and joy involved. And I think there's a, that's, I think people feel it. So yeah, um, and then I'm going to read an interesting chapter from The Creative Act, A Way of Being, for you as well. Or maybe let's do it this way. So, I'll read you first the chapter, then I'm going to talk a bit about the early access start, which was, you know, nervous, there were issues, there were, you know, bugs, it was a, it was a, it was a thrill, to be honest. But I want to read you something because it was fascinating. So um, I mentioned the early episodes. I started, I finished the book, The Creative Act of Way of Being. Amazing book. I can highly recommend it. And I think it was yesterday, or no, two days ago, I sat in the morning, I drank my espresso and just took the book and I closed my eyes and I just browsed with my finger over the pages and just stopped somewhere where I felt like, okay, I should stop here and then open the page. And this chapter op opened, opened up. And I think it was so beautiful. And why it was so beautiful? Because it kind of like supported what I believe in. And I found this kind of like reassuring. So I'm going to put some background music. I think it's always beautiful. Mm, which one do we have? Yes. The chapter is called Greatness. Imagine going to live on a mountaintop by yourself forever. You build a home that no one will ever visit. Still, you invest the time and effort to shape the space in which you will spend your days. The wood, the plates, the pillows, all magnificent curated to your taste. This is the essence of create art. We make it for no other purpose than creating our version of the beautiful, bringing all of ourselves to every project, whatever its parameters and constraints. Consider it, consider it an offering, a devotional act. We do the best as we see the best, with our own taste, no one else's. We create our art so we may inhabit it ourselves. Measurement of greatness is subjective, like art itself. There's no hard metric. We're performing for an audience of one. If you think, I don't like it, but someone else will, you're not making art for yourself. You've found yourself in the business of commerce, which is fine. It just may not be art. 
there's no bright line between the two. The more, formula form the more formulaic your creation, the more it hugs the shore of what's been popular. The less like art it's likely to be. And in fact, creativity in that spirit often fails even at its own goals. There is no more valid metric to predict what someone else might enjoy than us liking it ourselves. Fear of criticism, attachment to commercial result, competing with past work, time and resource constraints, desperation of wanting to change the world and any story beyond, I want to make the best thing I can make, whatever it is, are all undermining forces in the quest for greatness. Instead of focusing on what making this will bring you, focus on what you contribute to this art to make it the best it could possibly be, with no limitations. If you're creating something with a solely functional purpose, such as a car designed to reach a certain top speed, other intentions may matter. If your project is purely artistic, then redirect your inner voice to focus on pure creative intent. With the objective of simply doing great work, a ripple effect occurs. A bar is set for everything you do, which may not only lift your work to new heights, heights but raise the vibration of your entire life. It may, it may even inspire others to do their best work. Greatness begets greatness. It's infectious. Wow. I said, I really recommend this book. And I think we're loomy, we, we feel this. We, we're in it for creating something great, nothing less. It's an expression of who we are, how we see the world, and how we think, how we can contribute to this world. That is for us the spirit of Lumi. Let me take a sip. Mm. Ah, so delicious. By the way, <laughs> just looking at my black great well great tea. If you have any recommendations for black tea, because I'm kind of like bored. I'm always between early Earl Grey and English breakfast. Then um, you can write me an email at gerhard at lumi.io lumi with two i so gerhard at lumi l-u-m-i-i dot i-o or you can reach me on Instagram the high flow coach I changed my tag name I might change it back to avocado human <laughs> I don't know it's a bit too serious the high flow coach but it is what it is right now. Um, please recommend me some good black teas. I would love to try. So how did the early access launch uh, go? So we invited on Thursday, Thursday morning. Yeah, it was February 1st. We invited the people, Android users and Apple, Apple users. Um, at this stage, I would like to say it's so much harder to publish something on Android than on Apple. <laughs> wow. 
um, it triggered nightmares. But also, it was a bit of a risky, risky release for Android because I don't have an Android phone. I have an iPhone phone and I couldn't test it on a physical device, so I was only able to use to test the app on an emulator all the time. And even if the emulator was a bit sketchy, and I was so surprised it worked relatively well. Um, the first time I kind of like, okay, I gave it to a friend, C could you try it? And it worked without issues, just minor issues. Um, on Android, you have different stylings, but otherwise it worked really well. So we launched it on Thursday and wow. <sighs> it was nerve wracking. Um, a, because we created also a WhatsApp community and most of the early access users are part of the community. It's really cool. And then I wrote some of them, some of other early access per email. Hey, we're launching. This is the steps. But within the group, we were, we were able to really like gather feedback fast, capture the ideas, and iterate really, really fast. It's, I think it's a beautiful feature, by the way, in WhatsApp to have a community where you can also mute the groups, but you have like this announcement, which is where you only you can post and you can inform everyone in the community about latest updates, um, if there are any issues, love it. So, yeah, <laughs> early access started well. <laughs> First bug reports came in. So we have this community and there's a bug report channel, um, login issues. And, you know, in software development, by the way, I had to share this in the community as well. In software development, we, um, we call issues bugs I think I'm just gonna comes from I had a really nice description let me find it I pause in a group I'll read it to you um, so where's the post computer bugs Yeah, so a little computer science history. Because for those, I think many people don't know, okay, what are you talking about, bug? I mean, like real animals? No, so the term computer bug originated from a real-life insect. And the first recorded instance of a bug causing a technical mal malfunction occurred in 1947 when engineers working on the Mark II Icon Relay Calculator and they found a moth lodged in the machine's hardware. And this moth was causing an electrical fault, disrupting the system's normal operations. And Grace Hopper, uh, she was a, an admiral and a computer scientist, is actually credited for popularizing the term. And she was part of the team that discovered that moth. It's a beautiful story. So this is what we call in computer science a bug. And... These are part of software development and you kind of get, you learn to live with them. <laughs> it's like, on the other hand, it's like, they're very useful because, you know, you develop a very complex system and it's almost impossible to have software development without bugs. There will always be somewhere, but you always try to minimize them as much as possible, especially the critical bugs, which may cause really, you know, severe errors or like crash the app but it's just a way it's because like in the end it's because of software development is a messy business it is humans trying to convey 
human ideas and thoughts into machine language. Something very creative, very imaginative, put into a very logical and rational language. And it happens that bugs occur. I think this also happens in nature. You have, you know, faulty systems, there's errors in the DNA. That's the same in computers. It's the same thing. So we launched it and there were some users experienced login issues. And my it was like the first thing, oh no. You know, you get these anxious feelings like, oh no, because A, there's like a certain group of people who are in the WhatsApp community, but there's some people who are not access to the WhatsApp com community. So the people in the WhatsApp community, they will have get really fast feedback from me. Hey, we're on it and so forth. So you're just afraid, oh no, some people log in for the first time and they see this error. And of course, it was an, the error was due to a change I made just the day before because I thought like, that's a good idea. <laughs> because when you log in, it was like a line, it was actually it, literally one line of code which caused this error sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. And I immediately knew, oh no, it might be this line. And, but yeah, this was fixed at least. The good thing is, so there's two kinds of situations. And a bug occurs, an issue. First reaction, oh no. But if you know immediately what it is, you find like, okay, fine, we got this. We fix it immediately. Fix is being deployed right away. What the Then there's this sort of bugs, which is like they occur. And you have no idea what this might be. And then you have to kind of really think through, ask the users what happened there and there. And then, so this also very uncomfortable. And then the third cases, third kind of bugs are these very rare bugs that happens, you know, because in software development, you, of course, you, you test a lot, you test internally, you write tests, or sometimes you don't, <laughs> but you just test the app and the versions internally with a few kind of people within the team. And you see, try to see to capture most of the bugs. But of course, when you release a software, there's like so many more cases that people use the app, different systems, how they interact with the app. So this can trigger different situations. And then there's these rare, rare cases that sometimes you have no idea how they can happen, but they happen. And that's the beauty of software development and testing. Because then they, you actually... Oh, I'm actually very, very grateful for every bug because like, oh, thank you. Uh, we haven't thought about this. It only makes the system and the app better and better the more you can reveal one those bugs. Of course, you want to cover as many bugs as possible before you kind of like release the first early version to people because you want to, of course, create a great product that has a really nice first user experience. So this is really the first. This is actually the... To think about it, it went actually really smooth. There were the only issues, major issues, were some login issues, but we resolved it really well. And within 24 hours, we released an, a fix. And since then, there were no more login issues or like any issues that would hinder a person using the app. And yeah, um, I think the days after until now Sunday, it was really magical. Uh, we had we have five groups in the community where people can report bugs, where can people can express ideas and give feedback what they would like to have. They can ask questions, and wow, within 48 hours we 
received so amazing ideas and feedback and we were able to turn it quickly into improvements. And within three days, we have published now two bigger updates that incorporate all the ideas of the users. And it's so beautiful to see that, you know, of course, users, they respond, they would like to see something. And it makes me and makes us so happy that we can turn this quickly into actually actual improvements for the users and can show them that, hey, we have updated the software based on your wishes. And I think it's 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 a very joyful experience. So because in the end, you serve these users. In the end, I just remind myself, I'm so grateful and humbled that there are people out there that decided to allocate time and attention of their life. They're very busy people to spend time on Lumi. So it is actually an honor for me to serve them. If they have an idea and feedback, it's like, wow, how to make it even better. Uh, it's such a joyful experience for us to, to quickly turn around and say, hey, okay, how can we make this happen? And yeah, so to be honest, like the last days, I, I spent like almost every minute of my day just communicating with the early access users and transforming these ideas into actual feature improvements of the app. And then, of course, at the same time, then, of course, yeah, we now we're also like asking questions about um, talking to users and we are suggesting feature ideas that are bigger, they might take a bit longer to work on. And it's very nice to have this direct contact with users and get very fast feedback of what they like and don't like and really see how how well we can position Lumi and make it even better based on their feedback because it's only by listening actually to users to understand what they really like, what they see in Lumi and how to make it even greater and even better. And this is such a thrilling experience. Uh, um, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. The flip side of this whole experience is to really also like maintain um, maintain your health. Because it's so easy that you um, lose yourself in trying to turn every feedback into actual product ideas or features. And that you also, I mean, to be honest, the last six days my sleep hasn't been too well because just a of the pure excitement. And there was, especially yesterday, I worked a bit longer, um, which I normally don't do. And actually reminded me why I don't do this. And I think I am. I'm very disciplined about not because my um, peak. So this is actually what I also learned for the flow coaching, and I'm going to talk about this as well. Let me just f find the coin for it. I think it's your. Um, uh, personality. No, based on sleep. Chrome types. I think it's a chrome type. Yes, chrome type. Chronotype. So there's a, something called chronotype. And we'll talk, actually, we'll talk this in the next episode of Flow. The chronotype describes if you're by a natural person who wakes up early, someone who is wakes up, I don't know, like early, I'm thinking I'm early bird, like around 5 a.m., 6 a.m., or if you wake up naturally around 7 a.m., or if you actually naturally wake up 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. and you know, like I'm, I'm not a big fan of people kind of like, oh, this is 5 p.m. morning club and you have to wake up early to get things done. No, I think what this discussion is missing 
is that we all have a very natural internal clock where we perform the highest. And we have to first tune in to understand how does our body work the best. Because some people have their peak performance hours late at night. So how can we actually harness this and how can we design workplaces where those people can really shine and be rested in the morning? And my chronotype, yes, I'm, I'm an early bird. and I'm actually a natural early bird. I wake up um, most of the time between 5, 5.30. And yeah, I think that's in my peak performance time is between 8 and 11 a.m. That's why I like work the best and with high focus and high output. Then I have a kind of like a, a low in the afternoon. And around that time, I try to do things that are less heavy on the mind. Or maybe do sports in the afternoon, early afternoon. And then maybe you have a little rebound. It's how I experience it in the, in the evening for one hour where I can do one more thing on channel. It's an average. It's not every day. It's not always like that. But... I always look, look, but I always try to go to bed at between nine or like start my sleep ritual where I just turn off anything. My devices, I stop working two hours before going to bed. I don't eat anything three hours before going to bed to really boot, kind of like calm down and boot down your system. And yeah, so the last weeks have been a bit out of control. That's normal. Just for the pure excitement. And then yesterday... I worked for the first time longer than I normally do. I worked, I think, until 10 p.m. to really hammer out one bigger, major feature that I want to share with the Lumi Early Birds on Monday. But as I was going home and I was laying in bed, I was like, was it worth it? Because I normally don't do this. I'm normally very strict about it. And the reason is the return on investment, when you really grind your hours through, becomes less and less and the quality of your output becomes less and less. And normally what I do, I really start stop working around afternoon and just allow my subconscious, my body to recover because the next day, always guaranteed, I will have a much clearer outlook on what I want to do, how to solve a problem. And this time was exactly the same. So, yeah, I realized why I don't, why I don't cry. And I think there's a difference there's a culture where we sometimes honor or celebrate grinding, like really like this, um, or I grind through, <laughs> I'm not using the wrong term, hustle, um, hustle through, or uh, is it, is it a, con I don't want to say something. No, grind is a, yeah, no, it's a perfectly term, it's a fine term. To hustle, that's the wrong, and also like what they, what I want to talk about and what I've learned in my coaching program, the difference between hustling, but also waiting for flow states. Um, it's the perfect middle. So what you have to find is like your, to train your mind like an athlete where you can trigger flow states on command, really have this two, three, four hours of deep work, deep, deep, uninterrupted work every day. And it doesn't matter what time of the day it is, it needs to fit you. And to learn, there's a difference between output and time allocation. Many people think that they have to, and it's very natural, it's, it's communicated, um, you know, when we go to school, we have like long um, school days. At work, we have this really arbitrary seven and a half, eight hours work days. 
which is very arbitrary to have like an, an, an hour, uh, like a set of time. It, and we know where it comes from. It comes from the industrial age where actually time equals um, kind of output where it was very, where you actually had to assemble things. So it was measurable. But in a society nowadays where we live in a knowledge society, time doesn't equal output. You can have the same output with more in three hours of deep, uninterrupted work than grinding or hustling 12 hours a day and having maybe the same output, maybe even less, or maybe just a bit more. But here I'm talking about the return on investment. Because at some point you like reach this this um, level of return where the return diminishes. You put more hours in, but not much comes back, especially the quality of your work diminishes quite a bit because you get tired, you're exhausted, you don't think clearly anymore, you just hustle. It's a grind. It's not joyful anymore. And this is what I've I've really, really under- learned understanding what it what flow is all about that we look at the output we create instead of the time we allocate. I'm happy to say, like, if I work with someone, I can do... If you don't interrupt me and I have full focus for three, four hours a day, I can produce the same output that maybe some people in two days work in eight hours, interrupted, unfocused. And I will talk about this more in the next flow series, about the difference between output and time allocation, how you can harness this, actually. A very simple method. So that is where the day, so I think it was a challenge as well. Like for me, it's, you know, like when we talk about this, I think it's very important to understand, like, even though you know about all these methods and the things, it's still a challenge. It doesn't get easier, in a sense. It, oh, no, let's put it that way. It becomes easier to recognize them, but you still have to put in the work to stay disciplined and don't derail easily. So for me, the challenge as well as the last days to not get too involved in trying to get everything done as quickly as possible and to also step back. And actually what I did, it was beautiful. It was on Thursday, there were the login issues and it was um, yeah, mixed feelings like, oh man, I hope everything went well. And on Friday, before I started engaging with the group and did anything, and I think I really recommend this, when you feel stressed, Meditate even longer, <laughs> if you meditate. So on Friday morning, uh, the first thing I did, I meditated for 30 minutes to really start to stay grounded and slow and not let the outside world take over my pace and my yeah my, my, my life. Because you have to understand what are the two things you can control, what are the things you cannot control. And really focus on the things that are within your control and just focus on that, nothing else. Because the things that are out of your control is how people will like what you do, for example, your app. How and when will people reply and so forth. What you can do is to focus on having a clear mind, a healthy body, so you are able to tackle the challenges with, yeah, very clear-headed, with joy, understanding, and focus. That's what I can control. So the first thing I did on Friday morning after the Alexis launch, I meditated even longer in the morning. So I'm grounded and centered. And it helped me a lot. I did it on Saturday. I did it on Sunday. To always start the day grounded and centered and slow. 
Don't allow the other world, the outside world, rush into your mind. Control it. Mm -hmm. So, um, today, I think on Sunday, when I'm recording this, there will be one more update. I'm coming soon. Second update already. So excited. And then we are working. There's so much more coming. And if by now you're interested in joining the Lumi Alexis, you still can. You can go to lumi.io, L-U-M-I-I.io, and join the early access. It will last, we started February 1st, it will last for six weeks, and I will con we will con communicate as we go how this will continue. Uh, but it's exciting to take part, and so far we have received very, very positive responses and feedback on Lumi itself, and we can't wait to continue co-creating with the community. It's, it's a, I'm so grateful and humbled to work with them and for them and we are we're very excited yeah the next week um probably next week episode we'll begin about the flow series i think it's going to be very ex interesting to talk about difference between time output time and output and actually how you actually can with very easy methods trigger flow states and deep work okay i think this was this was it for this week i wanted to share this give you a glimpse into what it means to launch an app in an early access phase. Um, and yeah, I will keep reporting, not every week, but I think once every two weeks, I will keep reporting about the early access phase. And I said, if you have yeah, interest in trying out the Lumi app, it's a self-awareness, holistic well-being app that helps you understand how you're doing in your life and helps you to improve with tools designed and curated by experts and coaches to explore and experiment certain areas in our life. If you if you think like, oh, that sounds interesting, go to lumi.io, L-U-M-I-I.io, and there you can click, um, there's like a the link, click here to join, and there's a little Google form with three questions, and once you're on the list, I get informed, and I will get in contact with you. And yeah, um, if you have enjoyed this episode and you want to support the podcast, I'm always happy about five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your Google, or your podcast platform of your choice. It really helps the algorithm to spread the uh, podcast episode. But most importantly, thank you for joining. Thank you for tuning in. I'm so excited. Um, and I hope you're doing fine wherever you are right now. I wish you a wonderful day. <laughs>